Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I am your host. Folks, we've got a great episode today. We are going to be talking all things Red Sox with Chris Cotillo of Mass Live and host of the Fenway Rundown podcast. But before I introduce him, let me bring in my co-host, Mike Carter. He's getting ready for his trip to First Pitch, Arizona. I'm super jealous of him. But Mike, what is going on, man? Well, I'm a little nervous about my flight tomorrow, Chris, because I have to fly on Spirit Airlines, which means Ooh. if I have to sit in the middle seat, it's going to be a little cramped for the people around me. Uh, stuffing everything I can into a backpack and ready for takeoff at 7 a.m. So ready to get down there and see everybody and have a great time this weekend, see some Arizona Fall League stuff, uh, see the All-Star game on Sunday night. I'm sticking around for that. It's going to be a great time. Wish you were coming. Yeah, one, one of these days I'm going to get out there. But, uh, you know, for now I'm going to have to live vicariously through you, my friend. Um, man, good luck on Spirit. I, I haven't heard uh, good things <laughs> about that airline. Yeah, they, but, they uh, actually uh, they charge you extra if you survive the flight. That's yeah. the, uh, the it seems to be it. the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that voice you heard, that is our guest. Again, we have Chris Cotillo. Last name rhymes with pillow. He's a writer at MassLive.com. Also, again, the host of the Fenway Rundown podcast you can find him on twitter at chris cotillo chris thank you so much for coming on uh, i'd like to start though by learning a little bit about you so if we could start by you telling us how long have you been on the red sox beat and what led you down this career path i'm the most i always say i'm the most jaded grizzled 27 year old ever because i uh you know have done this for a long time now and um just because i started so young you know and i was 16, 17, 18, I started out at SB Nation. I was uh, a national reporter there at, at first. That was what I thought of myself, and nobody else thought that way because I had you know no followers and no readers and anything like that, but was trying to break stories, you know, national baseball stuff. And, and over time, you know, was able to, you know, actually build an audience, especially on Twitter. And was with SB Nation for, for five years and then uh, started at Mass Live right when I graduated college in, in May of 2018. So that was my this past year was my fifth year on the Red Sox, um, which has been crazy because, you know, first year came in in the middle. They won the World Series. 2019 was like kind of normal until they fired Dombrowski and then the Cora scandal happened and then they traded Mookie and then a global pandemic and then Bloom is hired and then all these Chris Sale injuries and ALCS trip and a last place finish later and we're, I guess, five years in. So it's been uh, a really crazy time to cover them. Um, but yeah, from here, uh, grew up here. So, you know, covering the Red Sox, calling Fenway in office is a dream, obviously, on a day to day basis. So, um, and it's always, there's always a story. There's always something entertaining happening. And there's always a lot of interest, which is the best part of being around here. Yeah. So you've that... covered just a few things in your time uh, with the yeah, Red Sox. <laughs> exactly. No, just, it's like, there's not, never a dull moment. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And so you started super young. You said around 16. How did you even, was this just like always your goal? Like from even before that, you were just like, I just, I want to be a sports writer. Uh, no, not really. You know, I would always be kind of more convenient, easy to say it that way. I, uh, you know, just always had a love for baseball. And at some point you figure out you're not going to reach the majors. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think my, you know, my probably 850, you know, 40 time or whatever and and you know <laughs> inability to hit or field to really do anything else but um you know like I, the biggest thing i got in my baseball career was 
sitting on the bench and learning how to score, which I do at the games in the press box now. So that was there you uh, go. that was the not only, a waste the of only time. Thing. Well, Big no, deal. it was it was for sure waste yeah. of waste <laughs> of my parents' time. Um, so you know, but it's been you know it's. Yeah, I just I guess everybody kind of I always love the business of baseball really. That's what it came mm-hmm. down to. I love the winter meetings, I love the trade deadline. I followed that stuff from afar and thought always thought when I was a kid, super nerdy, but like how cool would it be <laughs> to be at the winter meetings, to be at you know, to be in a clubhouse and a trade deadline and being able yeah. to do that the last decade or so has been really amazing. And you're going to Vegas soon, right, for the winter meetings? Yeah, uh, GM meetings next week. Yeah, so GM, oh, GM meetings, meetings. In, okay. in Vegas Vegas next week, which I said, you know, corresponding with the uh beginning of the college basketball season is not really uh good for me and i might not make it home <laughs> all right well listen thank you again uh, and thank you for sharing a little bit of your story uh did want to ask just your your overall assessment of the 2022 season for the red sox you know obviously it it did not go uh as well as many had planned i want to ask you in your opinion where do you think things went wrong for this team i mean a lot of it was injuries you know like they were very very injured for most of the year when you have you know chris sale uh you have james paxton those guys combined for a total of five innings um you know that's i think they had higher expectations for that heading into the season um you know they just they expected those guys to be healthy and then by the time the summer you know rolled around it ended up being you know garrett whitlock and um Nathan Avaldi and Kike Hernandez and a bunch of those guys get hurt, you know, and Trevor Story getting hurt down the stretch and Whitlock and Houck dealing with a lot of injuries, you know, season-ending surgeries for those guys. Like, they just were never at full strength. I think the roster was incomplete at the beginning. You know, anybody who watched saw that they played way too much of Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield, Bobby Dahlbeck, Franchi Cordero, Travis Shaw, nice guys, not major league first baseman. Yeah, Chris, I mean, it just, there were, you're right, there were a ton of injuries, and it, it just did seem, even going into the season, like there were some pieces that just didn't fit. One move that really puzzled me was the Hunter Renfro trade. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it's easy to to play Monday morning quarterback because they really lacked power. They could have used mm-hmm. that power. But, like, what was, do you have any insight into why that move was made, the Hunter Renfro for Jackie Bradley trade? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the Red Sox, you know, they're, they're, they've kind of tried to swing back and forth on certain things in certain years. This year, there was a huge priority on defense. You know, Hunter Renfro kind of wowed people with his arm and assists and all that stuff in 2021, but the defense was not great out in right field, mm-hmm. you know, especially in a right field of Fenway where you need a really strong defender. Um, they definitely missed, you know, Jackie Bradley's presence in the outfield defensively. It was not a good team in 2021. That's, you know, ultimately they came up two games short of the World Series. There was multiple reasons for this, but, um, you know, I think that was a big thing heading into the offseason. Um, and they liked the prospects they got in Alex Benellis and David Hamilton in that trade. So they figured, you know, kind of a creative deal, one that came out of nowhere. Um, I think that trade works if you add, like, a real starting outfielder, you know, whether that be, you know, the guys that they were talking about at the time, Kyle Schwarber, bad defender, obviously, you know, Seiya Suzuki was a guy they were interested in, mm-hmm. um, you know, Castellanos, again, a bad defender, but like somebody like that, where, you know, you have, um, you know, even a Tommy Pham, who would have been, you know, like a little bit of an upgrade over Jackie, who, who just did not hit throughout the season. Um, but to have him out there, like as a, um, part of your starting nine every day offensively it's just he's just not capable of that anymore uh, and so that was that really hurt them and they didn't you know get production from a lot of spots throughout the year first base was a black hole again until Tristan mm-hmm. Casas came up um 
you know, Christian Vasquez and, and Ploiecki for the first month or so of the season, getting nothing out of them. Center field also. Kike Hernandez had a bad year. He was hurt. Darren Duran gave them virtually nothing offensively. Um, so there's just a lot of spots that I think that, you know, they, um, you know, didn't shore up as much as they should have. And, and then when they got hurt and hurt and more hurt, you know, it just turned into, um, you know, a, a house of cards that fell down pretty quickly. Yeah, shifting gears a little bit, Chris, um, you, the Red Sox have some interesting contract decisions and situations to make this offseason, too. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen with Rafael Devers? Do you think they get a deal done? And what do you think about Xander Bogarts coming back? I know a lot of Cubs fans here in Chicago are hoping that he's going to remain free and uh, spring the coop in Boston. What are you thinking about those two guys? I think that they're the Red Sox number one and number two priorities right now heading into the winter. You know, they have to be. I think there's a lot of pressure on Heim Bloom to bring those guys back, not just because people want the team in the future to be good and they've, you know, fallen in love with those homegrown stars. A lot of it's that they don't want to repeat in the Mookie situation. You know, people are still upset here three years later that Mookie Betts is gone. I never thought it was necessarily a bad trade because I thought he never would have re-signed, you know, long term. But with Devers and Bogarts, you know, you can't, if you're the Boston Red Sox and you're a team that has so much money, you can't let the three of those guys walk in a period of three or four years. Um, you know, right now I think they're focused on, and they have a few deci- big decisions to make in the next couple of weeks. Bogarts is going to opt out. Sounds unlikely they get a deal done. I do think he's their priority at shortstop and that he wants to be here. Um, so I already, if I were to guess, I'd say more likely than not that he comes back. But once he hits free agency and he can start talking to teams literally for the first time in his whole career, right? And 15 years since he's, you know, signed a professional, since he signed as an international free agent when he was very unheralded kid in Aruba, he's going to get to talk to other teams. That Mm -hmm. for some guys, you know, like he goes out to San Francisco or goes to Wrigley and sees, oh, wow, this would be great. And they're offering me this much money. You know, once you get to that point, anything could happen. I'd still put the Red Sox as the favorite. With Devers, you know, I think that he is a huge priority. You know, there were some reports last week that they had restarted talks. Uh, a lot of people kind of told me behind the scenes to, you know, calm down. There's not really much going on there. Nothing's close. Uh, but I do think that they are going to give him the proverbial bag at some point. You know, I think mm-hmm. they are going to, you know, whether it be some point, you know, later this year or in spring training. He's a year away from free agency, so they have some time for that. But Lock him up, you know, three hundred million dollar deal, whatever it is, get it done, sure. and you're the Red Sox. Pay the guy, you know. At some point, <laughs> they just they just have to do that. Um, so, yeah. if I were to say, if I had to, if I had to put it either way, I'd say more likely than not that either are back, but it wouldn't surprise me if either was is, was gone. Obviously, a lot more time to figure out the Devers thing than with Bogarts, who's sure. going to be free sure. here in in ten days. It's interesting because a lot of outside people, you know, I'm I'm outside of Chicago, and I think when. Uh, the Red Sox signed Trevor Story. A lot of people saw that as laying the groundwork for not bringing in bringing Bogarts back. Um, yeah, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to stay there too. Yeah, no, I think that they love that up the middle mix. You know, Trevor Story's year was was definitely you know strange. Um, you know, I think that uh, he got hurt a lot. A late start. He you know he didn't sign until two weeks before opening day. He had ended up having to go home because his wife um, had a kid. Like three days after he signed, there was a delay with the physical because he wouldn't get he didn't want to get the vaccine at first. Like there was a lot of different things, some out of his control, some in his control. Um, you know, it ended up being like he got into like four or five spring training games before opening day, and then he didn't hit early in the season. Came down with a stomach bug. You know, the first month was lost for him completely. Uh, in May, once he was ready to go and finally kind of acclimated. You know, like I understand these guys are getting paid him like a ton of money. He's getting 140 million dollars, so there's no excuses. But 
The guy changed teams, leagues, cities, became a father for the first time, and changed mm-hmm. positions in two weeks. Yep. Like, how would any of us react to that? You know, uh, so not I well gave him, on this end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't even move apartments. Um, but like, you know, there's like that. That to me was uh, he was never going to make excuses. I always said I'll be the one to make excuses for him. Once he was good, you know, he settled into second. Was excellent defensively there. Became a run producer, drove in a lot of runs when he was healthy, hit some home runs when he was healthy, and then by the end of the year, there's some nagging things, which this is a guy who's been very durable in, in Colorado. So I think it was a bumpy first year that, um, you know, I, I wrote right before he got hurt and missed the last month and a half that it actually was a successful year for him, uh, which might have mm-hmm. jinxed him. But, um, you know, I think they, they're happy with what they saw from him, and, and they'd be totally fine. I think it's more likely that if not Bogart's at short and Story at second, then Story stays at second and they – you know, go sign Swanson or Correa or somebody to play short. You know, I think that those things are more likely than Story going to short and figure out second base. Um, I think they like the stability at second base that he brings. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, it sounded like it was really just a perfect storm. You know, of, yeah, of these sure. kind of negative events for for Trevor Story. And you know, we may so we're looking at things from like a fantasy baseball angle, right? And we may mm-hmm. see, well, that was a disappointing year from a fantasy perspective. But, uh, you know, I hear what you're saying, though, that, you know, if you look at the totality of his year, he actually was kind of successful. You know, he got acclimated to a new city. And I think he is one of those players that we could look uh, to for a bounce back next season. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Chris, you know, another guy that was really interesting uh, to a lot of us that were outside of Boston and didn't really know much about him was Brian Bellow. Um, he had a really great season in the minors and has really been fairly dominant throughout his career in the minors and it had some mixed results last year. What do you think about his prognosis for this year? Do you think he takes a step forward? I think that, you know, he, uh, he has the potential to become an ace, you know, the first day he got called up, made his major league debut at Fenway. Um, Rob Refsnyder was walking through the clubhouse and came up to me and another reporter and said, have you guys ever seen Bayo throw in person? Have you ever seen him? Like, no, we haven't. All right. It's like, I know you you might like just pay attention today. Like just really watch, (laughs) watch, watch the show, enjoy the show. You know, like it's just, it's the stuff is tantalizing and all that. Um, And, you know, when they called him up and this kind of (laughs) Red Sox fans jumped off the bandwagon on this guy kind of quickly, which was completely ridiculous because he's super young and super talented. When they called him up, it was before he was ready. They had at that point, Waka was down, Evaldi was down, Whitlock was down, um, and they were start, and they had already gone through Cutter Crawford, Josh Winkowski, Connor Seabold, like Rich Hill had just gotten hurt. Like all those guys got hurt in the period of two weeks. They were literally down four of the starting five. Nick Pavetta was the only one still going, so they had to go. It was the first time since the fifties or forties or the fifties the Red Sox had to start four rookies in a row, and he was the fourth one up of that group. And he did not, you know, have great outings his first three or four times out because he was not ready for the majors. He was called out up out of necessity. You know, they didn't have like some veteran on a minor league deal they could have called up. It's just like they were that far down the depth chart. They were on option like nine or ten at that point. Um, you know, not to say that, you know, next year he, he might be option number one or two, but at that point he in July he wasn't. Um ended up getting hurt you know, looked okay in a couple outings. And then in September was really, really good. You know, the expected numbers were, were there throughout the year, the counting stats, the the stuff that actually matters in terms of, you know, performance perspective actually ended up being, uh, you know, good toward the end of September. And they're very, very pleased. I think he's a locked in part of the rotation next year. I think he has the potential to be a front end guy. Um, and you know, it's, he's probably the most exciting pitching prospect they've had around here in a long time. They haven't been able to develop starters. They want to keep them there. Um, 
everything about his makeup, confidence, all that sounds great from talking to people there. And uh, obviously the pitch mix, the change up, you know, people have made comparisons to Pedro. So the, the sky is really the limit for him. You know, all those guys that came up last year, Crawford, Winkowski, Seabold, we've seen other guys in the past, like there's limits on those guys, right? They might be a back end starter. They might turn into a long reliever, you know, whatever. But Brian Bayo could be an ace. And I think they're, they're hoping that he takes that leap. And um, he's a guy that, and like I said, uh, the, he might be a little underrated now because of, you know, if you look at the numbers, they're not, you know, incredible because he was called up early, a little earlier mm-hmm. than he should have been. But, um, you know, he's a guy that is very, very impressive and, and they expect to have a long time in the rotation. Yeah. And his numbers in the minors were just filthy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I hear you. They, people were and a little he, disappointed. He started when at he double A up. last year, too. And he started the year at double mm-hmm. A and was in the majors in like July 10th. You know, that doesn't really happen. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and fantasy gamers have kind of soured on him as well. You talked about Red Sox fans jumping off the bandwagon, and I see here in early drafts, uh, Mike Brian Bale's going in like the three hundreds. Yeah, so that's he's not, not that's getting not right. that rookie <laughs> top prospect helium that you often see because, again, the results were a little bit mixed in his time in the majors. But uh, definitely appreciate your insights, Chris. I mean, it, it seems like. The players, uh, you know, and, and people around the organization really see him as a, a frontline guy moving forward. Yep. I'm going to give him the Cotillo bump this weekend in my draft. There you go. For you sure. Could. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Sound like a sound like a homer, but it's, <laughs> no, I'll, tell it's... You, I'll tell you who's not good. I will get, we'll get to that. <laughs> Speaking <Okay>. of which, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about my old White Sox friend, Chris Sale? Mm-hmm. Um you know, he, he obviously struggled with some pretty freakish injuries last year. Is he healthy? Is he somebody that you think that the Red Sox can count on next year? Uh, count on, no. Is he healthy? Yes. The different answers to, to the same question. <laughs> I think, like, you know, like, he, he is healthy, right? I actually was just talking about this on my own show. Like, okay, he snapped a rib throwing a pitch. Weird. However that happens, I don't know. Uh, but it healed. And then he come back or snapped his pinky. Well, that heals. And then he broke his wrist in a biking accident. Well, that, that heals, right? These are not like, you know, shoulder or, mm-hmm. um, you know, thoracic outlet. Like, there's not these these crazy things you see linger for a while. These are like bones heal, and then you're fine. Do I think he's, you know, after going through all this and a Tommy John surgery and shoulder stuff and uh, stuff in 2018 and 2019, do I think he's as healthy and the ceiling's as high as it was early in his career in Chicago and here? No, but they, you know, there's nothing that they're looking at lingering. The thing with him is what's next, right? Like what could mm-hmm. possibly happen next? <laughs> I'm, I'm bloom used the, you know, like I, I, I feel very bad for the guy. Like there's, you know, there's, you know, it's not like he, you know, he, he's as hard as worker as, as hard a worker as you ever see. Um, and as Heim Bloom said, like we have to go quiet, we have to go recover that Chris Sale voodoo doll because something is, is wrong and something's happening with this guy over and over. Um, you he's got to take it easy. I mean, between the cutting up the jersey when yeah. he's in Chicago, the I wasn't going to bring that in spring training. Just... Right now, there was some of that, but he never got hurt doing that stuff. Uh, right. right, to our knowledge, I just think you know. He's part of the mix. He has the ceiling, I think, still of being a very good major league starter, and the 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 floor is zero because of, that's what is that, you know. This year he pitched five innings. You know, last year forty. Uh, the year before zero. So, um, you know, there he just opted into his two years, fifty five million left in his deal. Um, you know, they want to be part of the rotation next year. They think at his best he could be, you know, front line of that rotation with Bayo and Pavetta, whoever they sign in the next few weeks or months. So, um, 
I'm not ready to count him out yet. I could see why people would because it's been brutal, literally, for like four or five years of injuries. But, again, none of that stuff theoretically lingers. So come March, come April, he should be good to go unless something else happens, which it continues to. Um, but as of now, you know, as of now, he's healthy. Yeah. So I want to go to another player that I think you were alluding to before. Uh, it was one of the who was considered one of the foundational pieces of the Red Sox moving forward, someone they acquired in the Mookie Betts trade, which is Jeter Downs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the last name is appropriate because, man, <laughs> last year was uh, just a disaster, worse than down. Uh, so tell me a little bit about him. Do you have any insight into his struggles? And, and do the Red Sox still see him as a key part of their future? I don't think so. No, okay. I don't. I mean, if you look at just who they have coming behind him in the system, Nick York, Marcelo Meyer, you know, they get a bunch mm-hmm. of these infielders that could play up the middle. Um, you know, they drafted a bunch of, you know, like infielders again this year um, with, um, you know, just he's just falling down the depth chart. Right. And like you have story there and theoretically they're going to sign a shortstop or if it's not Bogart. So to me, Jeter Downs is a guy that is potentially like, change of scenery trade candidate or maybe even a DFA candidate, you know, if they need a roster spot, the strikeout rate was astronomical in the majors. Um, the hit tool just never developed a triple a hasn't been for two years. And then he got hurt at the end of the year. So he's a guy that I don't think is in the future plans. He gets a longer leash, I think just based on, you know, being part of that Mookie Betts trade. Mm-hmm. And, um, but no, I, I don't see I don't see much of a future there. Yeah, Mike, I'm pulling up some of these NFPC drafts, and uh, I think fantasy players have have soured on him as well. He was only drafted at the end of one of these drafts so far. So, yeah, how uh, he's he's fallen quite a bit in, in every respect. Uh, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you more, uh, Chris, about what the overall direction of this franchise is at this point. I'm wondering what is Heim Bloom's vision? What is his strategy for building this team? Yeah, well, so far it's been let's build to try to build a winner, and then let's build let's let's build to try to you know have a long term sustainable product. You know, the the farm system has gotten a lot better in the last three or four years. You know, you've seen um, you know the kind of these top guys, whether it be Costas or Bayo or you know Garrett Whitlock was a Rule Five pick. Um, you know, some of these guys, and then they've hit, you know, on some depth pieces, whether it be John Schreiber as a waiver claim or Christian Arroyo as a waiver claim, like some of those moves have worked out. And so overall, there is more depth in the organization. And even, you know, guys like Winkowski and Crawford, who showed some signs last year, or a guy like Zach Kelly was really good down the stretch in relief or Caleb Wart, minor league, you know, just there's a lot of like, okay, marginal guys, you know, that they actually have hit on a lot that haven't worked out because, you know, with Heim Bloom, there's a constant roster churn, right? Like since the end of the season, They've claimed three guys I've never heard of off waivers and are on the 40-man roster. Who, who, you know, Maybe they're the next Garrett Whitlock. Maybe they're DFA'd tomorrow. Uh, who's mm-hmm. to say? Um, I think now is where the pedal, you know, the, the rubber meets the road, pedal to the metal time. He needs to produce a winner. You know, I think the, hot, the, the seat's starting to get hot heading into next year. I think it's fair to say that. Um, let's call 2020 a wash because, uh, you know, they traded Mookie. The weird stop, and they had a lot of moving parts, and then the weird stop and start 60 game season. They were horrible. Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, you know, ended up missing the whole season with a heart issue. Chris Sale ends up missing the whole season. Call that a wash. 2021 was great. 2021, 2022 was horrible. So I have, I'm at one bad season, and 
one horrible one. If you wanted to be, you know, devil's advocate, you could say he's finished last twice. 2020, I'm just going to completely say was a sham. So I say one and one. And <laughs> if you're going to if you're going to hire a guy to build long term sustainability and build a, an organization, you got to give him a little bit of time, you know. But mm-hmm. this is not a city and it's not a fan base that preaches patience very often. So um, that's why I think that 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 the clock is is starting to tick. Um, and it'll be interesting. I think there's just going to be this kind of classic angel and devil on his shoulder type thing throughout this season or throughout this off season, rather that, okay, I need to stick to my principles. What made the raise successful when I was there for 15 years? And what are my principles build from within, build up the farm long-term, find the bargain, go on the margins, you know, don't overpay. And then the other side saying like, Go sign Aaron Judge for four hundred million because right. fans will love you and your team will be, you know, on ESPN all the time. Like, is he ever going to cave into that temptation? He hasn't really so far. Um, but now the Red Sox are not as relevant as they've been previously in this town for sure. You know, they've been surpassed. You know, the Bruins are amazing. The Celtics are a contender. The Patriots, run, you know, rule the whole thing. So. Um, does ownership get involved and push him? There's a lot of those questions. I think it's like, does he stick to his guns in long-term sustainability or does he make those moves? Fans wanted to make those moves. And if he thinks he's in, you know, not job saving mode, but, you know, trying to, uh, you know, trying to at least extend his leash a little bit, maybe he goes out and makes a big move that he hasn't so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It it almost seems like with him, it's, uh, you know, maybe I'm off base, but it's like trying to fit, uh, you know, a square peg in a round hole, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he comes from Tampa where they had to skimp for every dollar. And now he's here with the Red Sox where maybe they're not spending like they did you know, 10, 15 years ago. But now he's got all these resources at his disposal. So it, right. it's interesting. You know, it's almost like a completely different job. Uh, it is. And look, like I, like I said, I think, you know, they did give you know, Trevor store, $140 million, right? Like that was mm-hmm. a sizable deal. Right. Um, but, and the payroll, the payroll was kind of, you know, it was very high and they were over the luxury tax this year. So like the mm-hmm. thing that they, the whole idea they don't spend is not great. The fact that they had, you know, $16 million last year went to David price, 30 million went to Chris sale. You got exactly five innings out of those two guys, obviously, cause price is in LA. Um, you know, you had a lot of money going to JD Martinez, twenty million, who was bad. Nathan uh, mm-hmm. the seventeen million for, you know, eighteen starts, whatever, sixteen starts, whatever it was. So like, you know, it's just those deals. Once they come to the end, and like once this core came to the end, like they weren't good deals anymore. And so they have literally one hundred twenty million to spend and add to the payroll before going over the luxury tax. I think he's going to do that. I think he's going to exceed it. I think he's going to make big moves. It's just you get a hit. Now he's going to mm-hmm. hit on for sure, for sure. Chris, a, a guy that I really like there who might be a better baseball player than he is a fantasy player is Alex Verdugo. Where do you see him fitting into this thing long term? I mean, I, I don't I guess the follow up question that I would have to that is for fantasy players. Do you think there's another level to him in terms of the power and the speed combination? Um, yeah, but I think those two things work against each other. Um, right, I think there right. I think there is there is another level for him. Um I don't know if it's going to be in Boston. You know, it seems like a foundational piece. He also, just like Jeter Downs, has a little bit of a longer leash because he was acquired in that Mookie trade, and he was really good in 2020 for them in that shortened season. Um, but the last, you know, if you look at numbers across the board this year, they were down pretty much in everything except doubles. Like I'm talking every advanced metric, every mm-hmm. offensive stat, defense, speed, and you know, there's a lot of people with the Red Sox who are not really pleased about how he 
carried himself throughout the year. And and that was, you know, just a he bulked up to try to hit for power, got away from what he does best, which is be a slap hitter, get on base, be able to play fine defense. Sprint speed goes down, his arm regressed. This is something that happened the exact same thing with Andrew Benatendi two or three years ago. And the Red Sox mm-hmm. were really angry about that to the point where they traded him. And I wouldn't be shocked if the same thing happened. They've traded two years ago, they traded Benatendi two years away from free agency. Last year, they traded Renfro, an outfielder, two years away from free agency. This year, Verdugo's two years away from free agency. Like, you know, that's either a pattern or, you know, two mm-hmm. outliers. If they traded him and went and got like a powerful bat, they need power, definitely in the outfield. That wouldn't be a shock. Um, but I do think that there's another gear there. Um, you know, and from a fantasy perspective, I guess people don't really care where he's playing, right? As long as he's, right. you know, yeah, as long as he takes that step forward. It's not, you know, as a fantasy football guy, it's like, oh, this guy gets traded, his role might decrease. He's probably right. going to be a starting outfielder or wherever. Um, the Red Sox, like, uh, this is a pretty interesting little anecdote. The last day of the season, I said to Alex Cora in the press conference, going to ask the question you know every year you identify some guys you want to take a step forward his first year it was like bogarts the next year devers and like this vast whatever 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 i said heading into 2023 are there any but is there anybody on the roster that you didn't even get it done verdugo Hmm. didn't even get the didn't even get the answer out of my mouth wow he is he is much better than he he we believe he's can be much better than he was this year Mm -hmm. you know um, the team believing that and the player actually going out and putting in, you know, the, the what they want him to do to get there is a different story. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, they there is definitely another level. You know, obviously he's super talented. We've seen that, you know, mm-hmm. and I think. But he's he's been, if you look at it, an average player with the Red Sox over the course right. of three years. And yeah. uh, I, think there is a, I think there is another gear there. But, again, it might not be here. Yeah, I, I think he would look great playing left field for the Chicago White Sox, by the way. Uh, they need a left-handed bat. Uh, he's, he'd, he'd be a perfect fit here. <laughs> yeah, well, he might be available. Oh, that's interesting. Well, speaking of a former White Sox, there is uh, a White Sox first baseman who's on the market. So we had here on our notes that we wanted to ask you if you think there's any fit for a guy like Jose Abreu. I know they already have some first basemen that may be, uh, you know, some younger guys, but do you think someone like Jose Abreu might be someone that the Red Sox look at? I think it's possible. You know, I've seen a couple really like vague, unclear reports about linking them or whatever, which at this point, you know, they're not talking to, you know, any other free agents, obviously, because they're just, you know, uh, we're not at that point of the year. Um, but I, I think that he's a guy that could fit, you know, and, and not just, uh, you know, because um, the first base thing, I think they're going to want Casas to play there all the time. But, you know, have Abreu. I don't know his splits. You guys definitely would know more than me. But, you know, have him play against lefties uh, at first and then be your DH on most days. Like, that's, I think, you know, I think roster-wise in the majors now, the Red Sox are a team that's for literally 20 years have had. You have a DH who is, a li- you know, he plays the field a little bit, but he's a liability. J.D. Martinez played as much in the field this year for the Red Sox as the three of us did, just like David, or- <laughs> just like David Ortiz did before him. I think that they want, you know, somebody in that role who can give them more than just the at-bats, you know, who can give them more than just the um, the DH role and like a guy like an Abreu who can be your platoon at first. You know, it's a guy taking two roster spots, right? And like, you know, mm-hmm. I think they kind of soured on Dahlbeck, who, um, 
had a very bad year. Uh, so if Abreu can do that, I think it would be a fit. Um, you know, obviously not a guy who's going to require a long-term deal. You know, maybe be kind of a mentor for for uh, Costas. The, the first base thing is weird for them right now, just because Costas they want him to play every day. But you're not going to have a rookie play 162 games, really. Um, you know, and you want to protect him against some lefties. Dahlbeck is a guy that they just they, he's gotten his chances. You know, he really has, and it just hasn't worked out. You know, and. Mm-hmm. Do you want to run him back out there as a platoon partner? Who knows? And then they have Eric Hosmer, and they're kind of stuck with him because he <laughs> a weird, uh, yeah, a weird piece to have on the team right now. It is, but yeah. uh, he like can't play anywhere else, uh, and he has uh, he's for he's free because the Padres picked up the rest of that deal. So the Red Sox have him literally for free under contract for three years, and he oh, has wow. a full no trade clause, which he might exercise if you give him a better opportunity. I mean, it's not actually a bad problem to have. It's just a weird problem to have, right? Yeah. Like he's free, and you know, it, it's it, it is what it is. Um, Listen, like if something's just, free, could, even if it doesn't make sense, you know, I saw right. you tweet the other day about um, Kyle Schwarber, and when he stole right. the base in the World Series, you know, everybody got free tacos. Right. <laughs> and I I try to eat healthy, but uh, even me, like I said, you know what? And I pass a Taco Bell. I'm like, it's free. It doesn't right. make sense for me. Like it's totally against what I believe. I'm gonna mm-hmm. go get it. It's damn probably taco. disgusting, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. How was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awful. <It's> awful. <laughs> but uh, I had go. to do it. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Same exact. Basically, but, uh, what, they have back to what you were talking about in terms of. Yeah. Exactly. So you were talking about the Red Sox adding a power bat, and trust me, like I, I feel physical pain even saying this because I'm, I'm a big Yankees fan. Um, <laughs> What would you say are the percentages that the Red Sox go and get, say, an Aaron Judge? I think they'll be in. I think they'll be involved. Um, if not for just to drive the price up, I think they're going to get outbid by whether it's the Yankees, the Mets, the Giants, whoever. You know, like there's teams that are going to be more motivated than them. And that is fine. I think if you're talking about a way to get them back to relevancy, a way to get them back to people are talking about them, the rivalry is great, all that stuff. There's literally never been, um, you know, a, a bigger move you could make. And um, Oof, but man, that would be. But but I just don't. I mean, I don't know. Give me fifteen percent on that. It's just. Okay. It's. Um. I, I see a lot of other teams kind of going big, but outfield's an area of need. Uh, power's an area of need. And, you know, stealing that guy from the Yankees, I'm sure, would be very satisfying <laughs> to ownership. And if they are super involved, then they're always a wild card in this. Torres would have to go into hiding in his basement for like six months in mourning if Judge signed with the Red Sox. Yeah, Mike, you would you would just take over this show. <laughs> I would need some time That's to hilarious. Hey, Chris, I have a question for you. You know, I, I cover uh, bullpens at Fantrax, and it's a labor of love and frustration a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the the closer for this coming year is already on the roster, or do you think that that's an area that they will seek to spend some of those free agent dollars? I think they should spend. I you know I've been saying for now a couple of weeks that I don't think they're going to do it because it goes you know against Time Bloom's mo, and I bet the Mets just you know pour out a ton of money to resign him. But Red Sox should go get Edwin Diaz, and like they really really should, and and have him there. They actually have the bones for a pretty good bullpen structure if you look at it, like Tanner Houck. Tanner Houck, John Schreiber, and Matt Barnes. Like, okay, Matt Barnes was really good once he came back. He was horrible at the beginning of the year. He is as Jekyll and Hyde as you're going to get for a, a major league reliever, but, you know, he was good at the end of the year. And so, you know, why not lock him in? Zach Kelly was good, as we talked about. So, like, you get some guys there. Matt Strom had a pretty good year. Maybe you bring him back for a little bit more money than he got, you know. So, like, all of a sudden, you know, you have, like, 
three, four, five internal guys. Um, and usually what the Red Sox in the last like five years have done is like, oh, well, that's good enough. And we're just going to figure out the other eight once we get the right. spring training. And it doesn't ever work, you know. And it's like, uh, let's see which reliever is going to be willing to take a, a you know, a, a smaller deal. Last year it was Strom who worked and Deekman who didn't. Um, or let's just let's put Cutter Crawford in the bullpen on opening day. Didn't work out. Or let's go with Phillips Valdez for the 80th time. Or Ryan Brazier who needs to be DFA'd. Or <laughs> no. you know Ryan. We- like there's just all these guys. They need to like actually act like that's a part of their roster for the first time in a while. Diaz mm-hmm. would be a great way to do that. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I think that they they might be comfortable with Hulk there, but Hulk is your eighth inning guy ahead of a guy like you know Diaz. To me, super super, um, you know, easy way of fixing the bullpen. Very expensive yeah. one though. That would be very gross for the for other teams. A eighth and ninth inning. Those guys are both disgusting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. But what about so Whitlock? Do you think he's going to be using more of like the swing role, or do you see him settling more into like a high leverage later inning role? Yeah. Um. I think the Red Sox now are with both of those guys. They've had the the benefit of like, oh, you know, Tanner and Garrett can will do anything. They can do anything. They've been successful in both. They're willing to do whatever to help the team, and we can just go back and forth at, you know, the drop of a hat. You know, Houck, um last year did both. Whitlock was a reliever in 2021. This year they put him in the – like it's just – and then you see the yo-yoing, and it's like, eh, does this really work? And the answer was both of those guys had season-ending surgeries. You can't attribute that directly to that, but you can't say, you know, going back and forth and having different routines and all that type of stuff, um, you know, didn't play a role. And so I think that this year they're going to want to, you know, Heimblum said we want both of those guys to know before we get to spring training what they're going to be. My prediction is how can the bullpen Whitlock in the rotation I would actually put them both in the bullpen just because I think Whitlock, you know, as a two-inning reliever, a guy who you can stretch out is super, super valuable in today's game. And they have some rotation options if they really want. You know, they can bring, you know, all risky, but James Paxton, Michael Walker, Nate Evaldi, all those guys are free agents. Sina Radon, Acquire Bieber, Yev, Bayo, Pavetta, Sale, all the guys we talked about. Um, But my prediction, my my prediction, how to the bullpen, uh, Whitlock to the rotation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense with the players the Red Sox have like they have some older players obviously we mentioned sale uh walk none of these guys are true workhorses so to have a guy like whitlock who can be that swing man give you two or three dominant innings in out of the bullpen just seems like a Mm -hmm. no-brainer but i do want to just piggyback on what you were saying about the yo-yoing between the two roles i just i don't get that i don't i again i'm a yankee fan and i live through the jabba chamberlain experience uh, I was a, a fanatic. I had the Jabba Rules shirt, so I followed that. <laughs> like, so it was uh, ridiculous, man. Uh, I followed that closely, and I really think Yankees ruined that guy, that guy's career because of yeah. the way they jerked him around from being a starter to being a reliever. Like you said, Chris, it's a completely different routine preparation right. if you're in the bullpen as opposed to starting. So. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me the way the Red Sox have been treating Hauk and Whitlock because I think they've got a ton of talent. They just need to stick to a to a certain role. Yeah, and I think you know that's Heimblum said we don't know what we're going to do with them yet, but we want to know heading into spring training this year. They like stretched them both out as starters, and then by the end of the year, Whitlock, or by the end of spring, Whitlock was in the bullpen, but like only for a couple weeks because then Hauk went. It just. You know, it seemed like they were kind of making up as they went. Um, and I don't think they want to do that anymore. The interesting thing is that Garrett Whitlock did sign an extension last year, a four-year deal, kind of a, a rare pre-arb deal, lock in some money. As part of that, 
there are very heavy incentives, all based on him being a starter, which shows that both sides think that he's going to do that long term. Interesting. You also mentioned Cutter Crawford earlier. Is he someone that you think uh, will start out in the rotation? I would be shocked if he was in the major league rotation to start the year. Um, I think there's just, you know, if you're going to lock in Bayo and Pavetta, let's say Sale gets one of those five spots, knock on every piece of wood in the world, and uh, then you have probably one of Waka and Evaldi and an outside addition, and then I'll probably bring back Rich Hill. Um, and, you know, Whitlock is in there. Like, you, all of a sudden, you're looking at Crawford you know, being farther down farther down the list. Uh, I think there's some people that think he, he'd be more effective as a reliever in the majors. They tried that last year at first. You know, he was dominant for like a month and a half, but uh, he's another guy that broke down at the end of the year. So um, I would be shocked if he was in the major league rotation. He's kind of uh, a lot of different ways they could go with him. I think they still do think he has a lot of talent. Absolutely, for sure. Um, Chris, thinking about next year a little bit more, too, um, what what minor leaguer do you think that's there could have a chance to really impact the 2023 team and also maybe uh, in turn fantasy baseball? You know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Marcelo before. What about Rafaela and, and Mata and guys like that? Is there anybody there that you think has a chance to make an impact next year? Yeah, I mean, uh, their top two young guys are already in the majors in Bayo and Casas. Like, they're major league ready they were you know showed great flashes down the stretch and they're going to get a chance to be really stars on the team next year um and so you know if you look at the minor league you know maybe their their farm system rankings down a little bit that's a lot of that is because those two guys are up i think if you're talking about you know the guys who could make an impact brian mata is one he was you know one of the very top prospects in their system for a couple years had tommy john surgery came back throwing harder than before they were really excited about that, whether that's as a reliever or or a starter. You know, the Red Sox had this habit for years of turning all these starters into relievers, mm-hmm. and they don't want to do that anymore. So I wouldn't be surprised if they tried Mata as a starter at AAA to start. Could see him factoring in by the end of the year. Another arm at AAA, Chris Murphy is a very interesting guy. And then R- Rafaela. You know, he's a guy that was, you know, one of the fastest risers and helium guys in all of minor league baseball this year. You know, I, I think he led the all of the minors in extra base hits, just like ridiculous numbers across the board, can play everywhere. Um, and he's a guy by the end of next year, expect to factor in. And it's not like he's blocked really at positions because he can play everywhere. And I think they like him in center field, but, you know, who knows? Kike Hernandez is only under contract for another year. Um, mm-hmm. They have options with him. I think he's the guy that, if you look at position players on that side, um, is one that could. Um, but you know, guys like Meyer and York and some of these guys, you know, um, Mikey Romero was their first round pick last year. You know, they've drafted their, their first round pick for three straight years now has been a high school, high school infielder from California. Those guys are, are not going to be ready for a while. Um, sure. and this year, this year they actually drafted I think their first three picks were all high schoolers. So, you know, those guys are going to be far away. Um, you know, I, uh, so we get to kind of talk about them as prospects. Acasas was, you know, drafted my first week on the beat, and he just made his debut um, because he was a high school kid too, in eighteen. So right. they just they haven't really they haven't really added college kids through the draft. Those guys take a while to get there. So, but Rafaela Murphy and Mata would be the guys I'd really identify as as kind of your your guys to watch out there. Okay, well, Chris, thank you. I mean, this has just been awesome. So much information. Uh, we like to wrap up by asking our guests about. A fun or interesting story of their time uh, covering their team. So anything anything come to mind that you think our, our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Yeah, uh, I 
you mentioned Chris Sale cutting up the jersey. You saw share this one. We were in the clubhouse one day. Forget where it was. The Mariners were like wearing those turn ahead the clock jerseys, those like basketball jerseys with the you know, backwards hats and stuff that they wore. And it was probably 2019, 2020. They were wearing them again. And um, Rick Porcello and a couple of veterans were like, oh, my God, in the clubhouse on the TV, the Mariners game was on. Like, oh, my God, can you believe this? Oh, my God, someone's got to go get sale. Got to go get sale and see what he has to say about these. <laughs> and he comes up and he goes, I'd cut those effing things up so so effing quick. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even believe it. So <laughs> that's that awesome. Yeah. Well, at least so, he can make light of it, right? I right. Mean, that was great. Yeah, that's hilarious. Well, Chris, thank you again so much. This was this was great. Uh, please tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, on Twitter at Chris Cotillo, C O T I L L O, at MassLive.com. Uh, cover the Red Sox there along with Chris Smith, and then uh, do the Fenway Rundown podcast now twice a week during the off season. Drop in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. All right. Awesome. So we are going to take a quick break and we will be back with our other co-host, Carlos Mercado. Welcome back. We got Carlos Mercado with us. Carlos, glad to have you here. How you doing? All good, Chris. All good. Happy to be back and and can't wait to to continue talking about the Red Sox. Let's keep it going, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, what listening to that interview, what were three of of your biggest takeaways uh, from that interview? So I, I was a, a Jeter Downs believer for a while. So realizing that the Red Sox might be really out on him sooner than later was. Uh, kind of disappointing um, but I mean it is what it is you, you cannot find the realness of stuff you know uh, he's been subpar that crazy strikeout, strikeout rate is just killing him as a hitter and it looks like he's going to be one of those promises that, that didn't pan out as pretty much we we see every day all around in baseball right so so that that was something and i know there is a lot of people still um trying to get some value in dynasty leagues and things like that from him and but i think after what we heard it might come the time to cut the 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 cord with jitter downs guys i'm i'm sorry i i have a few shares in a, a couple of places and i'm really thinking about parting ways with him so that that, that was something that that really struck me uh, like like it was something important you know yeah and he had mentioned chris Cotillo had mentioned that uh you know jeter downs may be a trade candidate right because it, it just doesn't seem like the red sox uh really have a, a lot of faith in him moving forward yeah. and they don't see him as a foundational piece anymore yeah. so uh, that'll be interesting to see mike uh what about you what are your thoughts on jeter downs you know, I, I've never been a big fan other than having a great name. Um, and, and I and I just really don't know where he fits into this whole picture, especially with some of the things that Chris was sharing with us, you know, in terms of the Trevor Story, Xander Bogart situation, who's playing shortstop, who's playing second base. It doesn't really seem like he's got a spot that he fits. Um, I, I've never really been big on the hype with him. I, I, I didn't really see things there that were super encouraging in my mind as to a, a good prognosis for an MLB career. Now, he's still got time. 
you know, we all got time, right? So it's always things that can change there, but I just don't really see how he fits in there with this squad. Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking great. I mean, we're, we're talking about a player here that is more, you're in a dynasty league, you know, this is much more relevant. He's not really on the redraft radar unless you're in super, super deep leagues. Uh, I see that he's been drafted in a few draft champions uh, leagues that have run so far, but I think only three out of 16. So uh, it seems like the fantasy community is also the same belief. They've kind of they've kind of moved on like the Red Sox have. Uh, yeah. Carlos, going back to you, what's takeaway number two for you? So the other and it, this is kind of the on the opposite lane is Alex Verdugo, you know, and um, it looks like he is still into the, the big picture and and he's going to be something that it's going to be really really important for for the Red Sox in the years to come and if if we see the his ADP is around 209 2010 and that's a great price you know on, on someone and uh, and uh, I I wasn't very optimistic about him but if the Red Sox are going to continue giving him volume when he's safe and sound and he can he can play uh, he, they will find some place for him to play i mean you gotta take him man he, he's a guy that that at that adp he can return a lot of value so uh, i think we, we we should keep an eye on him yeah it sounded like there's a little bit of pressure on him though too to perform right like it based on uh chris's comments that alex court kind of called him out in uh the press conference at the end of the season so that's notable um you know there may be some issues with his uh i know there are questions about his character some confidence you know not not all not only calling him out but putting the pressure to see and and letting him in know that hey we're counting on you you know mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, and we're going to give you the chance to to prove yourself so i, I think that's that's more important that, that we might think so. right right could go both ways it could be as a way to try to boost him up i mean me personally i'm kind of i'm out on alex verdugo even at that price i i just don't see a lot of room for growth at this point i think he kind of is what he is he's going to give you a solid batting average but in the things that we really want we want that category juice right the home runs the steals i don't see a, a huge jump up in those categories so i'm personally even at that price which is reduced from last year i just don't see um He's probably someone who's not going to be on a lot of my teams. I'd imagine there's other players in that range who are going to give me more upside. Mike, we're going to leave it to you to break the tie here. What do you think? But it, I know you're biased, though. I know you love Alex Verdugo, <laughs> but let's talk about it strictly from a, a draft price perspective. Well, what I thought was interesting, what Chris said in the in the interview, was that Verdugo does have another level, but it might not be with the actual Red Sox which got me kind of to thinking about what he really is. I mean, I think the projections of him early on were that he was a potential, you know, 15 to 20 home run guy and chip in 10 to 15 to 20 steals as well, which really got my interest peaked. He's a really good hitter. He's almost a 300 hitter a lot of the time and, and is pretty consistent and plays every day. And he's only 26. You know, he seems like he's been around forever and 
so maybe there's still a chance here that I look at him as a fourth or a fifth outfield type, just as a, a kind of a volume play and hope for a little bit more pop. I was disappointed last year that he didn't do more in terms of hitting for power or stealing any bases. Uh, he was really essentially kind of an empty batting average guy in a lot of ways. And he scored some runs, I guess. But um, I, I think to me it depends on the price point where he's going to be at and where ADP is going to be. Uh, and if he has a good spring training, you know, there could be a, a buying opportunity. I really like him if he gets out of Boston. I really like him if he goes to the White Sox. White Sox need a left fielder if they're going to have Eloy DH. He might need a change of scenery to be able to kind of get to that next level, as Chris was saying. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him. But I think he, there is a cap there. He's not really gone to the next level like I think a lot of player people, players in our industry thought that he might. All right. You in or out? ADP of 209. Uh, that's going to be a little high for me. Okay. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, takeaway number three, Carlos. So this would be Trevor's story. And uh, it, I feel like Boston is expecting too much from him. And I'm really worried about what I saw this year. And, and I, it looks like, of course, he's going to to be their superstar acquisition from last uh, season. And they, they will run with him. But I think they are overestimating uh, what, what he will do in the following years. Um, I recently wrote about him and, and he... he had the worst strikeout rate since 2017 at almost 31%. And his second lowest walk rate. I'm really worried about him, to be honest. And I know he was hurt. And I know he was hurt. And he, and I heard all the this, the explanation about the adaptation situations mm -hmm. that, that he had over there. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still worried. And at that ADP of 66, it's a hard pass for me. Okay. Mike? Yeah, I, I think it's a pass for me, too. Um, I think he'd have to fall further than that for me to really have that belief again. Although, you know, he could surprise. And I, he's done it before, right? So I think that's kind of the thing here. He also had a lot of personal things going on, as Chris pointed out in the, the pod as well. So maybe I'm wondering if maybe that could end up being the case for him, that with a year of stability under his belt, maybe he bounces back. Um, you know, you're drafting him for home runs and steals, but I don't know how high you want to put that when there's other better options, more enticing options on the board, in my opinion. Trevor Story steamer projection, which just came out today. We've got him for 23 home runs, 17 steals with a 238 batting average. Yikes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yikes in that batting average. Uh, would you take as far as the homers and steals? Are you going over or under Carlos? Uh, under and steals, I, I think the the homers are really in a good place, but I, I don't think he'll steal that much. Okay, and you think the batting average about where it's where it'll end up? Yeah, I think it's it's for two fifty. Okay. All right, and Mike, you you buying that projection? Um, I would say over on home runs slightly, and mm -hmm. lower on the steal, stolen bases. I, I I just think as he ages, he's not going to steal as much. Um. And if he starts banging balls off of the green monster, then I guess maybe we have to look at it a little bit differently. But as of right now, I think that there's other options that I prefer at different price point than Trevor's story. I mean, O'Neill Cruz is just around the corner in that ADP range. If you want a, a shortstop at that 
point come on let, let's bet on the on the new shiny guy you know i hope we're not on the same draft carlos because you're reading my mind <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's talk about another shiny new toy because uh there was a lot of discussion about this player on twitter this past week uh, and that's brian bellow and it seems like He's uh, he's a fantasy darling right now. There's going to be a lot of helium around him as we approach draft season. Uh, right now, he's got an ADP in the 300s. That ain't going to stay that way. Uh, if you want Brian Bello, I think uh, you're going to have to get into some drafts now because that price is on the rise. Just uh, I had asked the question on Twitter, and pretty much everybody said they're in on him. And Jeff Zimmerman wrote an article about him. Uh, so, again, major helium around his draft price. Where are you guys at on Brian Bellow? So, I like the guy. Um, I'm, I'm honestly liking him. I'm not liking the, the helium he's getting. So, uh, I loved him at 300. And uh, I think he was a steal over there. I think uh, he will still be valuable if he doesn't go higher than 250 or around there. Um, but I think he will. I will. Unfortunately, I think he will. And that's where I, I get a little bit worried. I know that the fancy stats and metrics love him, but I, I also like to see some more basic stuff. And the, the one thing I usually like the most is uh, K minus walk percentage, right? I think that that's a foundational metric for, for pitchers. And I don't like the way that it went for for Bello last year. To be honest, he he ended the year with a 10.4 uh, strikeout minus walk percentage. That's far from from elite. Actually, that's far from average, right? But okay, I, I don't worry about. But I worry about its progression during the season. Last 15 days for him was. Uh, under 10 percent last 30 days it was only 12 percent last 45 days it was only 13 percent so there was not a real improvement in in such a key metric and that's something we need to to keep our eyes on because that that's important in my opinion right so would I get will will I get shares of Bell yes absolutely I think he's a rookie he's there is a lot of room for improvement he's Minor league numbers were outstanding, uh, I think, and, and there's the pedigree, right? Mm -hmm. uh, could he be a bust? Yes, yes, he could be a big bust. So, so just I, I think we should all have that in mind and be sure that uh, we are just putting our our pieces together rightly and not getting too overconfident on him. Right, and one kind of uh, other metric to maybe cool down the uh, Brian Bello hype you know I look at Eno Saris's uh, stuff model and pitching plus model which I think is fantastic it's not the be-all end-all I recognize that and I hear what you're saying Carlos like sometimes just looking at k-minus walk can, can tell the whole story um, or a lot of it at least uh, Brian Bello's pitching plus metric in that model was 97 which is below average, which I found interesting because I guess the eye test and uh, even Chris Cotillo had talked about how 
his teammates were just amazed at at his stuff it, it didn't really translate into that model so again the i don't think that's the be all end all but it's just one data point right that we have to incorporate uh into our process or that mm -hmm. I, I think we should be mm -hmm. so mike uh are you of a different opinion on him are you a little bit more hyped than me and carlos about brian bellow i'm cautious with him and i'll tell you why and this is probably why i lose leagues I don't take a lot of risks with players with a profile like this until I see them actually do it once or twice, and then I buy into it more. The thing that concerns me, and you guys, you, let's let's just be honest, you guys are both better players than I am in fantasy. So here's what my thought process is on this, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. I have a real concern about whether he's going to throw enough innings to give you value. He's never thrown more than 120 some innings when he was in the minor leagues. And 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 what steamer projecting his innings there for Torres? Do you know? Don't have it in front of me. No. Okay. So I, I think it was more than 120, which concerned me because he's never done it before. And so we don't really know what that's going to look like or how that's going to work out. Plus, 137, Mike. 137. 137. Okay. So he's never thrown that many before, I don't think, right, Carlos? Nope. Okay, so here's the thing that I have to think about then. What there's a lot of flux in the in the Boston rotation right now, right? We know we know that Sale's got a spot if he's healthy, right? Uh, what else do we really know besides that? We, um, Rich Hill is he going to come back and resign? They let Paxton walk this week, like so. There's a lot of parts there that are combustible in their rotation at this point, and it's possible that he gets one of those spots, but then. How many innings does he get and how much does that help you? This isn't like Jacob DeGrom that we're talking about where you get 80 or 90 innings of DeGrom and he's going to you know, kill whip and ratios and stuff for you and help you out tremendously. No. There's a little bit of risk here, which is probably why I don't draft him, which is probably why I don't win the league, quite honestly. You know? No, that's, that's, a, that's a really, really uh, good concern, I think. I, and, and, and it's a rookie. He's a rookie, you know, so we have – to be always careful and he has a tremendous upside but he can you know ending up being needed more time maybe you know maybe not for 2023 but he might be completely ready by 2024 so mike to the point you made about the innings personally i'm not that's not my biggest concern with him if he's gone you said one around 125 already in his minor league career. I I think if he's pitching well, there's a good chance you're going to see him get to 150. And if he's pitching well, then those 150 innings are going to be really valuable at that price point that it is now. We're going to have to see where that goes throughout draft season. If he's going up into the, you know, someone had asked, like, would I be in at 225? Probably not. I'll have to see who else is around that range, but I probably will go on, be going for someone who is more established. Uh, but at this price point, like let's say by some miracle he stays around 300. He won't, but let's just say mm -hmm. hypothetically. Th this is thinking more just like what you were talking about uh, as far as taking risks, Mike. I, For me, I think these are the types of risks that are worth taking mm -hmm. because the upside is so high. And especially with pitchers, man. Like if you hit, on a late round pitcher, it has such a dramatic impact. I mean, look at a guy like a Spencer Strider. Now that's obviously like the best case scenario, right? Like sure, we're, sure. we're not going to have that very often, but 
those are the players that really uh, win leagues, right? So, yeah, I think Bello, it, it it's going to depend on the price for me. Uh, we'll see how, how things unfold. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely hear some of the, the concerns as well. Just one last thing, and I want to give a shout-out to Jeff Zimmerman's article, who obviously we all know does great work. Uh, he wrote up Brian Bello, and I thought this was interesting. He pointed out that his K-minus walk percentage in full counts, which I know is kind of like an invoke thing now to to cite, um, but it, I think there's, there's some uh, predictive uh, quality to that. Uh, his K-minus walk percentage in those counts was negative 25.4%, and it's usually like league average is like negative four. So he was a huge outlier in that area. His walk rates were never that high in the minors, and that metric indicates that he probably got a little unlucky uh, in terms of his walk rate. So if he brings that down, uh, we'll see. I, I think there's definitely uh, a case to be made on both sides for Brian Bello. Okay. So I want to just quickly go through some of the uh, relevant Red Sox players that we're going to see that's going to be that are going to be drafted in a standard mixed league. All right. So draft champions are obviously going like 750 players deep. So we're we're not going to go that deep, but (laughs) I'm going to focus on players in the top 300. I want you guys to tell me if you are in or out on them. So let's start with Rafi Devers at an ADP of 20. I'm in all in. All in and rough. Uh, Dave McDonald, the, the great high stake fantasy player, just tweeted something that, that that he says: if the only advice I could give you is to is the following: never go for a, a guy coming out of a career year and a high ADP. Go for the established guy coming on a low year and a low ADP, and that's like the perfect description of Rafi Diverse. Rafi Diverse is. Could, could get into the first round easily when he's at his best. He will now be a, a second-round pick. If you can grab him there, go steal him and run away with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would take him too. I um, I did a uh, best ball this weekend, and I uh, actually had the eighth pick, and I took Machado at 17. The next pick was Devers at 18. I started the run on third baseman because we know that it's a pretty shallow spot this year. So, yeah, I think that ADP is absolutely fair. All right. We already talked about Trevor's story. Uh, So we can move on to the next player, and that is Xander Bogarts. Now, we don't know if he's going to be on the Red Sox. Um, I don't think his his price is going to change that much depending on where he signs unless he goes to either like Detroit, which – probably not going but you know to like an extreme um pitcher's ballpark then we'll, we'll see his price go down but tell me about xander bogarts where would you uh be comfortable drafting him does an adp of 84 carlos um is that enticing to you uh, i think i would go again i would go for for o'neill cruz on that on that range uh there is a lot of uncertainty around xander bogarts right now so I think I would not draft in it. Mike, I think you? it depends. I think it depends on your build a little bit, right? I mean, it depends on where you think you're going to get those steals from and where you're going to get that power from. I mean, what did he have last year? 15 home runs, about eight or nine steals, I think. That I need a little more juice for my starting shortstop than that. I love him as a player. I think he's a great example of a guy who's probably a better player in real life than he is 
a fantasy player in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. He's a great volume play. I mean, he's usually healthy. He's going to give you 600 at-bats. But, I mean, I'd rather have 600 at-bats as somebody that's going to maybe give me a little bit more. Love love him as a player, but I don't know that on my fantasy team that I got a spot for him. Okay. 19 home runs, six stolen bases, 271 average are the projections for him according to Steamer. So, hmm. Yeah, that's that doesn't sound great, right? No. Not not at that ADP. Yeah. No, I don't think so. All right, on that one. Yep. Chris Sale. Now I'll tell you right off the bat, he's an absolute no for me. What about you guys at an ADP of one fifty six? No, no for me. I, I I'm not drafting guys with tendency to have freak injuries anymore. I had enough Luis Robert and the Byron Buxton in my life, so I, I don't need more. I would like. be really, really tempted to take him at that ADP. Um, and and I'll tell you why. Because at that point in a, in a draft, I probably already have three, if not four, starters in my the way that I kind of go about building the team. And if I had a chance to take him as a guy that I could take a look at for a couple of weeks and then get rid of quickly if I needed to, that might be too early to do that. I guess I'll have to really think about that a little bit more. But like Carlos said, I think the thing is, is that it, they were freak injuries, right? The the shattered pinky finger on the comeback or one start in, you know, the, you know, as long as they, as long as he stays away from scissors and cutting up jerseys, you know, um, maybe he'll be able to be healthy for once. Um, he is 33. It gives you some pause. Yeah. And, and maybe there's, maybe this is a, um, not something that I should be going off of, but you know, people have been saying for years, Chris Sale and his throwing motion is going to catch up to him, right? And I just, you know, he one of his injuries that kept him out a while last year was his oblique, and I just feel like the wear and tear on his body and his throwing motion, um, I feel like is it's just destined for him to eventually break down. And I think we're seeing the early signs and I could be totally wrong, but just someone that I'm not willing to invest that pick in. He's going right next to Jesus Luzardo. Carlos, who would you take there? Luzardo. Easier. Yeah. I mean, without thinking. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah. When you put it that way, I think it's really, yeah, to me, it would be Luzardo as well. Okay. Two more. We got Nathan Yavaldi and Tristan Casas. What do you guys, uh, ADPs, Eovaldi almost right next to each other, 242 for Eovaldi, Casas at 244. I'd take Eovaldi again. I mean, um, he's also an injury-prone guy, apparently, but the upside is really high. He could be an SB1 for any any team, and at that point, 242, I mean, you could do a lot worse. So uh, I, I'd take him. Okay, Mike? I'm a little worried that um, the Casas might get screwed over in this deal at some point. <laughs> um, I, I think that the Red Sox are not that far away from being a team that can win again. And I'm wondering if they look at that and say, hmm, we'll resign Devers, we'll resign Bogart. Well, they don't need to resign Devers. I mean, sign them long term, resign Bogarts, and then maybe pop in a Jose Abreu type or somebody at first base, Trey Mancini somebody like that that's more established in an attempt to try to stay stay and keep pace with the uh, rest of the American League East. Um, however, if I'm at that point of a draft and I'm looking for a bench bat or if I'm looking for a, a corner uh, infielder with some upside, I think Casas makes for an interesting play there. I just don't know how, mu- how many home runs he's going to hit. I mean, I 
you know, p- people last year were talking about Bobby Dahlbeck hitting 50. Obviously, that didn't happen. But yeah. um, it, what kind of power does Casas really have? And and to me, that kind of remains to be seen. So he's somebody that I might take a flyer on, though, um, if I already have my, you know, my first baseman uh, rock solid at that point. Projections look good. I mean, he has 21 home runs is what they're projecting him for. Uh, 247 average. It's okay. Um uh, you know, one thing I have a, a concern about with Casas is him losing playing time to left-handed pitchers. And I think that's something that I've really incorporated into uh, my game is is looking at handedness. You know, Phil DeSalle, I remember this was like a few years ago. He talked about this on a podcast, and it, it made so much sense as far as, I mean, listen, there are some players like a Juan Soto, for example. Uh, on Alvarez, it doesn't matter that they're left-handed. They're so good. They hit both uh, righties and lefties. It doesn't matter. But a lot of players, you see it when, you know, like a left-handed hitter goes into a slump. What tends to happen, right? Like they, it's more likely that when they're facing a lefty, they're going to be moved down the order or lose playing time, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if they're not hitting. So that's something that I always think about. And especially with a guy like Casas, who's young, like you said, I think the Red Sox are, are still, they're planning to be contenders. If he goes into a little bit of a slump, well, then you start seeing him moving down lower in the order. Then you start seeing him um, hit the bench against left-handed pitchers. And, you know, those those things, you start losing at bats, and that value diminishes pretty quickly. So that would be one of my concerns with him. No, and, and it's a really real concern, to be honest, I think. And, and uh, there is a lot of uncertainty, too. There's a lot of uncertainty around the Red Sox in general. That, that's my feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they're gonna. I think we're gonna be looking at a very different team uh, as we approach spring training. Uh, it's just kind of an odd team as it is constructed right now. So we'll see. Uh, let's pray for me and for the sake of the show that Aaron Judge does not sign with them. I saw some other people talking <laughs> about that on Twitter, and uh, man, I had to uh, look away. But. Uh, We will see what happens. But anyway, we are going to uh, leave our Red Sox analysis there. Uh, We are going to be our next episode is going to be on the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we have a very special guest. Nick Picoro will be joining us, uh, beat writer for the Diamondbacks. So we're really looking forward to that. That's a a fun team, right? I mean, there's like a lot of young, exciting players. Corbin Carroll, uh, my boy Jake McCarthy. Uh, so there's there's a lot to that that outfield is is loaded. So a yeah. lot to talk wait, about. Wait, there. wait, wait, wait. You guys, you guys aren't excited about Mark Mellons? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh what he's not gonna be on them, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I think he may be he may fit that uh that established closer role like for a team like the Marlins or like you know, uh, we talked about last episode. I yeah. bet you he still gets twenty saves. Yeah, and I'll be fighting with Twitter uh, with people on Twitter about that one. Uh, I got <laughs> yeah, you will. Some, yeah, you I got will. into some heated debates. Uh, I was pretty adamant about my anti Mark Melanson takes, and some people didn't <laughs> like that last <laughs> last spring. But hey, that that that's what makes Twitter fun, and now it's funnier than ever, right? Oh my god! Oh my gosh, you're not kidding. <laughs> You are not kidding. But listen, I I do want to just give a quick thank you to the people that have um, sent me DMs or said nice words about the show. 
uh, Arvin Gonzalez. I know you you were retweeting our show and saying some really nice things about it. Uh, Mags on Twitter. Um, you know, we we just really appreciate the support. And, uh, you know, we we put a lot into this. This is new for us. So it feels really good to get some of that positive feedback. So thank you so much uh, for everybody who has done that. And, uh, you know, we'll take whatever feedback, positive, negative. Uh, please leave. Please follow us. Please share if you like the show. Um, you know, we uh, it, it goes a long way. So, uh, fellas, any last words before we wrap up today? Just that we want to know. If we're how things are, how are we doing? If if it's good, if it's bad, we want to know. That that's would be my my last take on that. Yeah, and I think uh, the only I, thing that I would add to that is that we're we're all learning. The three of us are kind of developing our chemistry together, which is going to be really good down the road. We're learning as we do it. We're trying to get high quality guests to come on and 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 talk about their teams with us. We've got several in the works that you guys know about that are going to be huge people for us to get for the show as well. Uh, and we're just going to keep grinding and keep doing the, doing the best that we can with what we got. But we do appreciate the feedback. I have had also gotten messages from people on Twitter um, that are listening and paying attention that I was blown away by. And so I think that that's going to be a really cool thing for us. And I hope that everybody has a good week and likes this this episode. we got another one coming for you here pretty shortly. All right. We will leave it there. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.